When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, it's Dan, and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, and I continue the Roadmap series, and today we're going to look at the wide receiver position. Before we do that, we recorded this on Tuesday after Jarvis Landry went on a little bit of a Twitter rant, uh, clarifying some of his injuries, uh, that putting the ball in Cleveland's court. We get into all that right off the top, we discuss it, uh, and then we get into our wide receiver roadmap. So that's coming up on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast Make sure you're a football insider subscriber, cleveland.com slash browns, the blue banner at the top of the page. Get info, get signed up, get a daily newsletter delivered to your inbox, get access to exclusive stories on cleveland.com slash browns, and become one of our text subscribers. Okay, here we go. Continuing our roadmap series, talking wide receivers on the Orange Brown Talk podcast. Here we go on our Wednesday Orange and Brown Talk podcast. We are going to talk wide receivers, and what a time to be talking wide receivers because one of those receivers uh, for the Browns went on a little bit of a Twitter rant uh, this morning. We're recording this on Tuesday, so Scott, before we get into your full wide receiver roadmap, uh, we at least want to talk a little bit about what Jarvis Landry uh, had to say today on Twitter Basically, uh, acknowledging the injuries he had uh, that started in week two and playing through them. Um, he said he gave everything, said the word everything twice. Uh, and then his last tweet, he said, I have put the ball in Cleveland's court by telling them I would like to stay, but if not, then I'm confident enough in myself to be a better healthy me this year and moving forward to helping do my part in winning a championship elsewhere. Uh, so we're going to spend a little more time on Jarvis Landry, I'm sure, and the Browns plan on him. But Mary Kay, when you saw, kind of saw that rant this morning, what, what do you think led to that? You know, I'm sure that that Jarvis has been seeing and hearing all of the speculation about his future. I mean, we've been doing it on our podcasts and in our stories, trying to figure out what is going to happen with Jarvis Landry. And pretty much everybody else has been doing it, too, because right now that's what time it is in the NFL. It's time to figure out uh, who's getting cut, who's getting released, who's getting extended, who's getting drafted. It's uh, we've reached the as some general managers call it the silly season. So I think that he uh, wanted to get some things out there. And I think one of the things that he wanted to address was the fact that he really wasn't himself last year. I think that uh, you know, trying to tell everyone that he was injured and he played injured. If he has to negotiate with other teams or sell himself on other football teams over the next couple of months, I think that he wants them to know that there were extenuating circumstances here this year, one of which was the fact that he was not healthy. Yeah, Scott, he said a week two high ankle or high grade MCL sprain, partial quad tear and, and bone bruise. And of course, we all remember him missing that time and going on IR. I, I mean, just just kind of your thoughts when, when you saw all that come out today. Uh, I guess my first thought is what was he reacting to? Because um, it seemed kind of come out of the blue. And I thought, well, maybe he saw something on on TV and ESPN did have a, a short segment on the future of the Browns. It kind of uh, talked a little bit about the team overall. And they, they mentioned that he could be a cap casualty. I, I don't know if it was anything to like warrant, you know, an all caps rant 
before 9 a.m., but that's, you know, maybe that kind of fed into it. I don't know. Uh, but it was just kind of odd. I thought it was weird that he seemed to insinuate that people thought he couldn't stay on the field. And I don't know if anybody's ever really thought that. Obviously, he had issues this past season, but um, we've talked a lot. And I think most people who followed Landry's career know that he's kind of an Iron Man and uh, he he's just always out there. Um, so it was, I don't know, it, it started off, I think, on the right footing. But the more he went with his tweets, it kind of like got off into left field and some things that made you kind of go, hmm. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know, obviously he had some things he wanted to get off his chest and social media is always there to, to help with that. Yeah, that that's true. And, you know, there were, th- you know, Scott, I saw you tweet the the injury thing that, you know, yeah, I don't know that many people were really questioning his ability to to stay on the field. Uh, you know, you do kind of, when a guy's almost 30 years old, you do get a little nervous when injuries start to happen for the first time, but I don't think anybody was questioning that. Um, and then also the whole media thing was a little weird because he did talk to us after the injury. He, again, stopped talking to us after Odell got cut. So I, I still think that's probably a, a closer correlation than, hey, I had to get rehab. Because there were, there were plenty of opportunities where he could have addressed this stuff with us, including after the season was done. And it, it just didn't happen. I, I still feel like that was more an Odell-related um, Odell thing. And the only time he talked was when everybody had the opportunity to catch up to him this turkey giveaway. Yeah, you know, I do actually have some thoughts on the whole media aspect of it, because I really do feel like uh, Jarvis, as a team leader and as a team spokesman, basically since the day he landed on the Browns doorstep, I think it would have been beneficial if he would have spoken in the aftermath of Odell's departure. Maybe not that week, uh, because emotions emotions were running high and Jarvis is someone who wears his emotions out on his sleeve. And I know that he likes to cool himself down sometimes before he talks, he's very passionate and, uh, and he, you know, just shoots from the hip. But I think that it would have helped the situation for him to come out and explain, you know, how he felt about it and sort of throw his support behind Baker Mayfield. Even if, even if he had some misgivings about that, Uh, I think that there was an opportunity. There was a moment in time there where he could have tried to galvanize the team, bring everybody together. Because if Odell Beckham Jr.'s best friend on the team can show that this is still going to be all about winning for him and that he is going to 100% support his quarterback, then I think other players may have followed suit. And I think that the, the fans needed to hear that as well. I think that it would have been just good for everyone. I think it would have been good for Baker. Uh, I think it would have been um, good for guys on the defense that were left with some hard feelings about how all of this went down. And I think it could have been unifying. And if he wasn't going to do it then, then by all means come out after the season, we had a day where we did zooms with as many players as would jump on zooms with us the day after the season getaway day. If not, then come out on getaway day and, and let us know you know, where's your head at? How's it going? How are you feeling? And um, it just, I just don't think it was what they needed in the moment was complete radio silence from Jarvis. And he's, he's done that before though, too. He's come out in, in kind of tough situations and has been vocal. I think it was 2019 uh, when the offense was having issues. And I think Odell had kind of voiced some, some of his issues and, uh, and Landry kind of followed that up and, and was a real loud voice in the locker room 
and talking to us about what thing, you know, what was going on and what they did and didn't like. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was definitely weird to, to not hear from him at all uh, after the Odell thing went down. He talked to us twice after he came off of IR the week leading up to the Pittsburgh game. And then he talked to us after the Pittsburgh game, actually, um, you know, one of those tough moments when he actually had a tough game. Uh, and, and that was the last time we heard from him in a team setting, whatever, not to make it all about media, but just, I, I think that was a little, you know, as far as not talking to us, I think that was maybe a little uh, revisionist history there on, on Jarvis's point. But that being said, it feels more and more like that's, this is kind of heading where we all thought it was heading. Mary Kay is this Jarvis kind of, I don't know if saving face is the right word, but, but kind of trying to put a little more on the team than just on him. Yeah, I think so. I think he wants fans and everyone to know, I want to be back here. No matter what you think about me, I want to be here. The ball is in their court. So if I'm gone, it's not my fault. It's their fault, right? So I think he's he is putting the onus on the team or he really, you know, is putting the ball in the Browns court to decide, do you want to pay him the 16.379 million dollar cap hit that he has for next season or uh, do they want to perhaps try to restructure the contract uh, and you can do that creatively in a way that he ends up with some more guaranteed money and they lower that cap hit and then they can do some other things. Uh, when we talked about it on, on your roadmap pod, on your roadmap, Dan, last week, which I actually accused Dan of sending <laughs> Jarvis into this Twitter rant, but he's, well, he's well, not just only- wait, just wait, Jarvis. We got some more wide receiver talk coming. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, you know, I, I would not be opposed to them bringing him back at a lower cap number because sometimes you go out there and you know the grass isn't always greener and I know he likes it here he likes the Browns he's a fan favorite and all those kinds of things but um, I wouldn't be opposed to that but I do think there is sort of a this could be the end vibe let's take an early break here and then uh, Scott we're going to let you lay out the uh, the wide receiver position as we continue our roadmap series And we are back on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Scott, the floor is yours. All right, so I have a three-step plan here for the wide receiver room, which I think we all agree needs kind of a, a makeover uh, in a way. The first part here has two steps, so I guess it's really a four-part plan, but I don't want to get bogged down in the numbers. Anyways, my first move, we'll call it step 1A, uh, and it's what well, we've just been talking about. and We've discussed multiple times on the pod. It was part of Dan's Roadmap. I don't know if that was Wednesday or Thursday last week, but you can go back and check that out and get more uh, in depth on that. But it's moving on from Jarvis Landry. It's a money saving move. Like we said, it's $15 million you're saving. Um, but I think beyond that, it's a good clean the slate move in trying to redo the receiver room because everybody left then is somebody who that Andrew Barry either did or, or signed. Um, and I think last week we were all in agreement that, that the Browns need someone other than Landry to be their best receiver, definitely their highest paid receiver. Um, so the first move is saying goodbye to Landry. So the, you're left with uh, this group under contract for 2022. Donovan Peoples-Jones, Anthony Schwartz, Demetric Felton, who I refuse to call a running back. I think Dan's on board with that. I am fully um, on board. Yeah, and then to Marcus Bradley. Now, DPJ, he had 34 catches last year. That was more than all, all the other three guys combined. So that's not a lot of experience left over. Um, but anyway, do we, do we need to talk any more about Landry? Or should I go on to step 1B? Yep. Can I just say one more thing about the Jarvis situation that I think, yeah. you know, maybe he wants to come back and Mary Kay, this is the point we're making before the break. Like he loves Cleveland, Cleveland loves him, et cetera. 
I mean, maybe just a change of scenery is what everybody needs. Like, like maybe that's something too in all of this. Like, yeah, maybe he wants to come back and certainly, you know, he's, he's put down some roots here, but uh, you know, this is kind of life in the NFL. Maybe he too would benefit from a little bit of a change of scenery on his end. Well, you know, I will say about that, that uh, in the same way that it was for, for Odell, it's been a tumultuous four or five years for, um, for Jarvis Landry. So, I mean, he's had the coaching upheaval. He has had the general manager upheaval. He's had, you know, the firings of Hugh Jackson, Todd Haley, the whole Freddie Kitchens thing, which uh, if you guys, and of course you do remember, but I mean, that season was one in which like the quarterback room was over there and the receiver room was over here and he did not feel heard. And that's why you saw him, you know, yelling at Ryan Lindley and, and the quarterback's coach and yelling at Freddie that year at the end of the year and the Cardinals game and other games. And it's been a stressful four seasons for Jarvis Landry. It's been stressful. And now he, he's starting to crop up with some injuries. And, and that's also a new, that's new territory for him. He had, uh, you know, the back surgery, the hip injury, uh, you know, the, the MCL this year missed his first game with because of injury. And then the whole Baker Mayfield situation with Odell. I mean, he was so excited to have Odell here. They spoke into existence, the Super Bowl, and then his best friend leaves and everything goes haywire. It has been so stressful uh, that, that I actually do think a change of scenery might do both sides a little bit of good. Having said that, I really like Jarvis as a player and as a person, and that's why it, it's hard for me to say, oh, I think they'd be better off without him. I, I, I just like the guy. You know, I like the player. I like the person. Um, so I kind of would hate to see him go. I, I like star-type players like that. Um, but, you know, maybe it is time for him uh, to go somewhere and just start fresh. All right, there we go. Now, now we're now we're done with Jarvis. <laughs> all right, so step one B: sign an experienced free agent. I think this one's kind of obvious. We're all anticipating them being active in the free agent market. I think to some extent, but and like I've never been involved in negotiations for free agency, but I'm having a hard time imagining the sales pitch the Browns are going to give to a big name free agent wide receiver because first you have a quarterback coming off a rough season. And everybody's questioning how much of that was injury, how much of that is his limitations. And then second, you have an offense that consistently finishes in the bottom of the league in wide receiver targets. You go back to 2019 with Stefanski in Minnesota, and up to now, his wide receivers have finished in the bottom three in targets as a group each year. And he'll tell you that that's all the three tight end formations that he uses, and that's true. But that's probably not what a wide receiver wants to hear. <laughs> like, it's certainly not what Stefan Diggs or Odell Beckham Jr., wanted to hear. So like, if you're looking at guys like the Chargers, Mike Williams, uh, he's headed for free agency, 129 targets last season, a career high. He had 85 and 90 the previous two seasons. Chris Godwin of the Bucks, another potential free agent, 127 targets in just 14 games, 121 in 14 games, two years ago, Allen Robinson, another guy uh, that could potentially be out there, 150 targets in two of his last three seasons, Michael Gallup of the Cowboys, 113, 105, and then he was hurt last year. He had 62 over nine games. So those are the guys who are going to be among that big name wide receiver group that could become free agents. And I know money is a huge part of this, but beyond that, are these guys going to want to join an offense where over the last three seasons, only two receivers have had more than even 60 targets and only one Jarvis Landry had more than a hundred. 
like maybe you get Allen Robinson uh, on a prove it contract after a down year, or maybe you get Godwin. Uh, maybe people back off him because of the injury and he wants to go out and prove he can be a number one receiver. So he's willing to, to try that here. But um, I have a guy in mind for the Browns to target, but I'm curious what your thoughts on their, on their ability is to, to attract one of those big name guys. Well, you know, when, when I think about this situation and I keep coming back to this and I would be curious to know if you guys agree with me on this or disagree with me on this. And I've said it before on our pods, I really believe in my heart of hearts that Kevin Stefanski is a growth mindset coach who will be open uh, to doing whatever it takes to win games and that he will adapt his coaching style uh, if necessary. And I, I don't even think he's necessarily locked into a coaching style because he's only been a coordinator now for just a little over three seasons where he's actually been calling the plays. Um, and so, and he has got so many different influences and voices in his head. And as we saw, you know, Sean McVay adapted to, you know, a Matt Stafford Cooper cup type of offense and doing things a different way, even though he comes out of the Shanahan Kubiak type system, I just can't help, but feel like Kevin Stefanski, if he had a, a really amazing quarterback, whether that was Baker Mayfield healthy or someone else that was able to get the ball to receivers on a consistent basis and some really, really good receivers that were playing at the top of their game that, uh, that he wouldn't change and adapt and bring help to bring that passing game up to 2022 standards. And I think he needs to do this. I think he needs to do this. And the argument there would be, well, he had Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen in Minnesota and, and didn't necessarily do that. Um, but I think even if you heard Paul DePodesta in his recent interview on Cleveland Browns daily talked about the fact that, uh, you know, it's obvious that this is a, you know, it's a big time pa explosive passing game NFL right now, and that you have to attack it from both sides of the ball. I think that as an organization, they're going to, they're going to put a lot of emphasis on changing up the offensive philosophy. And I think they're going to have to, I think if you sit down with all, any of those guys that you just mentioned, you're going to have to say to them, no, that was two years ago. And that was last year. That's not how we're doing it this year. And then show them the blueprint and the plan for how they are going to do things differently in 2022. Uh, I think they have to evolve that way. And I think they will. Might be a hard sell, but I think it's the only, as I like to say, path forward. <laughs> and that's almost your sales pitch, right? It's like, hey, that offense you saw last year, it's going to look a little bit different this year. Mm -hmm. You know, like you said, whether it's Baker, hey, Baker's going to be healthy. You know, he's, he's going to be able to do more, or who, you know, whatever that the sales pitches kind of change, I guess. What I'm wondering though, is, you know, when you mentioned a Mike Williams, you mentioned a Devontae Adams, you mentioned, you know, the really big, big names. I wonder if this team is willing to pay 17 to $20 million, if that's what it takes to put that kind of money out there to sign one of these big wide receivers. Cause we've seen them go get the top guys at certain positions but it's never been that much, you know, like Austin Hooper wasn't that much, Jack Conklin, you know, John Johnson, it wasn't that big of a number wide receiver is a different position. Um, so, you know, again, if Baker's your quarterback, you have a cheaper quarterback, but are, are you willing to, to put 18 to $20 million on the table for a guy? Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess we're going to find that out probably if they do end up signing one of these guys. Um, but the name I threw out 
in my roadmap was my was Michael Gallup is a kind of interesting player. I don't know when he's going to be ready because he tore his ACL. I think it was in I think it was week 17. So that would have been like January 3rd or something like that. So I don't know when he'd be ready, but I know PFF has him projected to make like 12 and a half million. Um, his market value on Spotrack uh, is a little slow right here, but they, they've got him about 11.8 million. That feels like a range. Maybe the the Browns would be willing to play in, but Scott, I know I know you said you had a name, so I'm curious who that is. Yeah, but before I get to that, do you guys know who had the most explosive pass offense in the NFL last season or this season? It was the 49ers, who That's used 11 personnel around the same amount of time or um, a percentage or rate that the Browns did, about 46, 48 percent. Um, but they they led the league in explosive pass plays. Um, even in DVOA, which is kind of an efficiency metric that will, will factor those kinds of things in, they were fifth as a passing offense. So I think I'm not ready to, to say the Browns are going to make a big change this offseason because I think they look at something like that. And let's not forget how far the Niners got in the playoffs. Um, and they see that it can work, you know. Um, yeah, I'm sure that's, I mean, you, the last few seasons, you could probably point to the Niners and say that's, that's uh, an offense that, that can maybe uh, be a template in a way for the Browns. So, um, so we'll see, but my guy, um, this is still step one B by the way, <laughs> for those keeping track at home, um, maybe the Browns go in a different direction. They don't go after one of those big name guys and they target a guy like Will Fuller. Remember Will Fuller? Mm -hmm. um, yes. He was a, a popular free agent last year. Uh, he only played in two games for the dolphins because he broke his thumb. Uh, he was originally a first round pick of the Texans in 2016 he was the second wide receiver drafted that year. Can't remember the first guy. I'm sure he went on to have a great career. You guys remember the first guy? Well, I'm sorry. What year was that? 2016. That was, um, yeah, we don't, we don't want right, to bring him up right, here. Yeah. Never mind. Yeah, we I know. Got you. <laughs> Moving on Fuller's uh, final three years in Houston though. Uh, we're very solid. He had 50 catches in this final two season. That's ended up getting him a deal with the dolphins. He signed one year for 10 million. He probably doesn't get that much this offseason after missing the pretty much the entire 21, 21 season. But I like him because he's a proven deep threat that you really don't have right now. His average depth of target for his career is 15 yards. And even better, over his last three years in Houston, his catch rates were 76%, 70%, and 67%. And that's pretty outstanding for a guy whose average depth of target is, is that deep and over 10 yards. Now, he struggled to stay healthy which is like a legit concern. <laughs> He's, he hasn't played more than 11 games in a season since he was a rookie. And, uh, but I think I feel better about him. The fact that he's coming off a broken finger than like, you know, a knee injury or a, or a, like a soft tissue injury that's lingered or something, but he's a veteran. He's fast. He's efficient. He was first or second in EPA per target in four of his five years with the Texans. They had some good receivers there with him too. Uh, he led all NFL receivers in DVOA in 2020. Uh, so the point here is that the Browns don't need to go for a big name player. Maybe um, they go for someone who might be a little more happy in this offense. Perhaps a guy like Fuller is a better player for, you know, the money production and maybe in the locker room. And if they did go that route, I'm pretty sure that they would have other mid-tier guys in camp as well. Um, but I, Fuller's a guy who just, the more I thought about it and the more I thought about the future and and what they might draft. Um, he seemed to make a lot of sense to me, not long-term, but uh, 
as a veteran and, and a guy that you need on this team that can do things that maybe you don't, you don't have right now? Well, the, the first thing that comes to my mind, and I like all those things that you say about Will Fuller. My first thing that comes to my mind about it, Scott, is this plan would be great if they trade for Deshaun Watson. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> right. Deshaun Watson did make him look, look very good. <laughs> <laughs> right. And my point being that, um, in terms of the, the cell that we're talking about, as far as Kevin Stefanski's scheme is considered, they're also going to have to sell if you try to sign uh, some of these uh, one or one A type receivers like this, is they're going to want to know uh, that they're going to be able to get the ball and they're going to get it deep and they're going to get targets and they're going to be able to get go to the Pro Bowl because that's what they want. Receivers want to come and they want to produce. They don't like to be unhappy. They are the most mercurial group out of anybody in the NFL, uh, going back to the dawn of man. And if you have unhappy receivers, it spills over into other aspects of your football team. And all of these guys that we're talking about, they're going to want to have some reassurance that, um, that Baker Mayfield's woes and struggles had so much to do with the fact that he was wearing a weird clunky harness and that he was not himself and that he didn't have a deep threat. They have to sell these guys on Baker is what I'm trying to say. Either that or they're going to have to have a different quarterback that they could present to really good free agent receivers. Scott, when you were going through all that, Will Fuller felt like a Browns signing. The, the name that actually popped into my head was like Tack McKinley or even to a lesser extent, Jadavian Clowney, um, but just a guy that maybe isn't as valued in the open market, but there's a lot of like, there's a lot of data that points to like, Hey, this guy's pretty good. If he can stay on the field, we can bring him in at a lower rate and we can kind of maximize that value. That That's sort of what that signing would, would feel like to me. I like Will Fuller. I've always liked him yeah. as, a, as a receiver. And it's not long term. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to draft a guy at number 13, who's going to be a number one type of receiver than than Will Fuller would be a a good fit there. But don't you guys agree that, or maybe you don't agree that a guy like Will Will Fuller will, you know, he is used to playing with a guy like Deshaun Watson. He's going to want to know that somebody's going to help him look good. What's your take on that? He might be a guy you can get away. I mean, he he just played a year with Tua. Yeah. Oh, or two, two games, games anyways two <laughs> games. yeah two games okay yeah he was in a building with Tua for a year <laughs> yeah he was good in Houston I don't think he I, I don't look at Will Fuller at the point of uh, look at him as uh he was a, a star in Houston and he wants to go somewhere where he can continue that I think he's still somebody who wants to prove that he can be a number one guy uh so maybe you know it's a that's why it was kind of attracted to me. He's not somebody who's already had those kind of targets and, and that kind of production somewhere. And he's also put up, he's had decent seasons. He had Brock Osweiler for a year. Um, a lot of Tom Savage and Deshaun Watson's rookie year. Um, so mm-hmm. he's, he's played with some, some questionable quarterback play. Um, and, and frankly, <laughs> coming off that injury and, and with sort of never having consistently had those big numbers, he, he, might, he just might not have a ton of leverage. All right, so that's 1A and 1B. 
Yeah. So step two is pretty short and simple. It's, it's draft the receiver. You're going to build the offense around, right? Drake London or Garrett Wilson. I don't think it really matters. I, I kind of like Garrett Wilson, but you're taking a guy you plan to count on for the next four or five years. And also somebody you need to get significant production from as a rookie though. And which is a bit of a risk, but maybe it's not as big a risk as some other teams because of the way this offense is set up. One that uses tight ends so much, one that runs more than you know most other NFL teams. You don't need this guy to come in and deal with 100 to 120 targets. You know, you just need him to be efficient. Something the Browns wide receivers were in 2020, but not so much in 2021. So step two is pretty pretty simple. It's it's taking the best receiver you, you know or the guy you really want with 13. They still have the 13th pick. <laughs> well we haven't we haven't gotten to your roadmap yet. yeah that's that's coming later this week so as of now yes they still have the 13th pick i i was gonna say um you know i've sort of been intrigued by drake london i did see a, a something today from a, a guy on twitter his name is ben fennel um he's, he's actually a really good follow for these draft prospects um and he points out that six foot four six foot five 200 to 215 pounds is not a normal wide receiver size there's been one pro bowler in the last 21 years of combine participants at that size. And, and it's AJ green. There's been guys that have been bigger, like in the two thirty range and certainly guys that have been smaller, but I thought that was an interesting little nugget uh, about Drake London. Still a, a guy I'm intrigued by, but yeah, I, you know, there's so many guys here. You, you could throw out three names, three, four names that I'd be like, yeah, okay. Good pick. I'll, I'll take that guy at number 13 and start in week one. Does, does this change? significantly how you feel about Drake London, Dan? No, I just thought it was interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. We'll, we'll see it how that plays out over the next, we're doing those weekly mocks. So we'll see how my mock changes here over the next <laughs> two months. <laughs> uh, I was looking through uh, highlight videos of Drake and it's like, I, it was hard to find one. that just wasn't like a series of jump balls, you know? <laughs> I mean, he's great in the air. Obviously he's a big dude. And uh, it's like, I, I just wanted to see more of that. and. Uh, so I guess maybe you don't need the most accurate quarterback in the world. If you draft Jake London, you just need somebody to throw it up, you know, kind of the Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, you know, screw it. Jamar's down there. Let's just throw it. Right. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Um, I was going to say, I, I was intrigued by a five foot seven receiver at the senior bowl. So I just like, I have no room to talk here. <laughs> like on the total opposite end of, of the spectrum here. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, Scott, this is a city, a pretty simple, premise here to take the best receiver in the draft at number 13 there it's a good receiver class and it's kind of you know a little smorgasbord of different kinds of receivers different sizes different skill sets uh, you know there there's a lot to choose from and there is going to be a good one available at number 13 mm -hmm. somebody good is going to be there so you know, if things go the way we all expect them to go, they will, I think, go ahead and pick a receiver at number 13. It just, it just makes sense. There are certain years where you almost have to do a certain thing because the strength of the draft matches up with your first round pick. Now you're not going to force it. I mean, if it was a, if it's a horrible quarterback year, you're not going to try to shoehorn that in there and try to pick a quarterback in the first round. If it's a horrible receiver year and there wasn't a good one available at 13 then we wouldn't need to have this discussion, but I think it, it matches up this year need and best available player. Now, I don't know if Garrett Wilson's going to last that long in some of the, um, some of the mocks that I do, and you guys have done the 
PFF um, simulate mock simulator. Um, quite a bit. He's gone by number thirteen. Are you finding that? Yeah, when I've when I've done it, Garrett Wilson has, has been off the board. Um, at the same time, if it, you know, I would still yeah. put him in a Browns mock because who knows? Oh, but sure. yeah, he's he's usually come off. Yeah. For, it, I think the combine is going to give us a lot of clarity on where these guys are going to end up going once those testing yeah. numbers come in. And people are speaking so highly of him, and it almost seems like you know there's a chance, pretty darn good chance he could be gone by number thirteen. And I know that Doug will be absolutely <laughs> crushed and depressed, and we're going to have to send him to the Bahamas for a week or something like that after the <laughs> or after the draft. Yes. Um, but yeah, I think this is probably what they're going to do. And I think it makes a lot of sense to do it, even though I've been mixing it up here and there, you know, talking about other things. I still think that this makes the most sense. All right. There is a step three. And, okay. and I, I think you all know what it is. It's the stuff that my offseason roadmap is always going to lead us to because I'm not ready yet to write my dissertation on the love-hate relationship between the Browns and Richard Higgins. So you resign <laughs> Richard Higgins. You keep the tradition alive because like you, you let Higgins flail in the winds of free agency for a week or two, and then you bring him back. <laughs> the Browns may hate Richard Higgins, but they love him in March, right? Because they just keep bringing him back. And I'm not going to get into the whole, the whole love-hate thing here. It's, it's built around the fact that they bring him back and then they don't use him. And then they do use him and then they let him go in free agency and then they bring him back and win your deal. And it's just this repetition. So you re-sign Higgins, though, because his career works in cycles. Right. He spent his first two years trying to figure out the NFL. Uh, they were kind of meh. I mean, he had 50 targets, I think, his second year. But in 2018, he had a career high 53 and he caught 73 percent of his passes. He ranked 11th in DVOA that year. Then 29 comes. Freddie Kitchens takes over. He struggles to get on the field. He has 11 targets all year. It was just a lost season. They let him walk in free agency. They bring him back two months later. He responds 52 targets, 71 percent catch rate, third in DVOA second on the team in EPA per target, just like an efficiency monster for the Browns that year. And then what do they do? They let him walk in free agency again last offseason. And again, they bring him back. But then he had another stinker, like 24 catches. He played 45% of the snaps, but he only had 24 catches. But that doesn't matter because you re-sign him because you want to take advantage of the rebound because it's coming. Because the data is pretty clear on that. Rashard Higgins is going to be good in 2022. So the Browns need to love Richard Higgins one more time. That's, that's my third step. Wow. That is shocking. Um, it can, and we can also do a documentary. It's the thing that wouldn't leave coming soon at a theater near you. Um, wow. Scott bringing back Richard Higgins again. Very, very interesting. Well, one thing about Richard Higgins that we can all agree upon, and that is the price is always right. Yes. The price is always right to get a quarterback, uh, you know, that you can throw out on the field and, you know, he's going to run good routes and he's going to be there. And most of the time he's going to catch the football for you. And he just does. He just does his job. Last year was weird. I felt like there was some kind of a little doghousey thing going on. I don't know. I don't know what was going on last year. It, it was bizarre for him to be inactive in the, you know, one of the biggest games of the season against the Ravens and a healthy scratch. Um, I thought that was kind of weird, but, um, but at the right price, I mean, why not? I mean, he's an insurance policy against injury. He wants to be here. He loves it here. The fans absolutely love him. I mean, no matter where he go, where else he goes, 
he is never going to feel the love like he f- felt it in Cleveland, right? I mean, they're going to be like, Richard who, right? <laughs> um, so, I mean, this is like, he's, you know, he's very well respected and loved here. And, and I think that he would probably love to come back. And so, sure, why not? This is the least amount of Richard Higgins buzz there has been among this fan base, though since uh, probably when he was a rookie like there's just nothing like no one is like I mean last year I think the Browns probably could have given him 10 million dollars a year and there, there would have been a parade in in downtown Cleveland in response but uh, yeah the least amount of buzz hey why not like look Rashard's an even year guy Baker's an even year guy just run them all back on even years figure out the odd years <laughs> later I mean your room your room would be your first round rookie who you're building your, the future of your past game around, right? DPJ, uh, Will Fuller in this scenario. Um, so those are probably the three guys who are going to get the most targets. Then you have Higgins, who isn't at his best in the slot, but can play there. And you got Schwartz, who you hope will take a little bit of a jump in year two. Uh, and then you got Felton, who's another slot option. Uh, so, I mean, again, they're going to have a lot more guys than that in camp, obviously. But, um, you know. And this is on an offense that passes to its tight ends a ton um, and even started passing to its running backs a lot more last year. So it's not like these guys that we've mentioned here have to carry this passing game. Uh, they just need to, to be efficient and catch the passes that come their way. In, in the work that you guys have done so far on the draft, um, do you think that in the event that they didn't go receiver at number 13, do you feel like it's deep enough that you could get somebody good at 44 or if you trade up a little bit from, from 44, not as high as I traded up in my first round draft mock, but um, what are your thoughts on an excellent starting receiver in the second round? There's a couple names out there that are interesting. Um, David Bell from Purdue is a guy that I've, I've kind of, it's probably a second round guy. Um, a Dotson, Jahan Dotson from Penn State. Yeah. You maybe yep. have to get back in the first round. Did you have to take him in your mock last week, Mary Kay? I don't remember. No, I watched him. I think him you'd have to trade into the first maybe to get him. But yeah. Yeah, I didn't, I did not have him. I, I had them trading up back up into the first round and taking uh Jameson Williams. Okay. Um, I just thought, like I said, I was trying to shake it up a little bit in the with the first mock, just generate some food for thought a little bit. I, I, I highly doubt that they're going to go from 44 all the way up to 19, but you never know. Anyways. Um, I like your roadmap, Scott. I mean, I think this, this is, it's good. I think one of the things that would have helped the situation for the Browns is if they would have been able to, to get to know Anthony Schwartz a little bit more as a rookie, they didn't get a chance to, to get a good feel for him. And I know I I'm still, uh, taking a little grief because I, in the beginning, I said, I thought he was capable of, of five touchdowns of some sort, whether it be returns, jet sweep and catches, but he was hurt most of the year. You know, he had a concussion that kept him out for three weeks and he was completely derailed by a hamstring injury. If they knew that he was going to be good next year, I think that, I think that would help. And I, mm-hmm. I think that the tricky evaluation of Anthony Schwartz throws a little monkey wrench into the plans, but this right, is a good, go. this, this is a good roadmap. I mean, it's, it's good. I mean, it, you could not go wrong with that group that you're talking about. Oh, you, no you could really go wrong. 
Well, you can go wrong. You can go wrong. Going back to that sales pitch, you know what would really help their sales pitch? If receivers' dads and receivers themselves would just stay off Twitter for a little while, just like Hmm. if you're if you're not thrilled here, just just stay off social media. Help the Browns out a little. That that would help with their sales pitch as well. Well, like I said before, receivers are you know the most animated mercurial group in the NFL. (laughs) Uh, they're the most vocal. Some people might even describe them in some cases as divas. You know, I've heard mm-hmm. that before somewhere along the line. Um, so yeah, we're going to, we're going to be hearing from uh, the Browns receivers for a while. And we even hear from some former Browns receivers from time to time. Right. Yes. That's right. <laughs> Out of the woodwork. No, no one had that on their all-star weekend. Um, <laughs> hearing from yep. our buddy Braylon Edwards. Okay, there we go. Our roadmap series uh, continuing here on cleveland.com's Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Make sure you're subscribed every year. Podcast, make sure you're a football insider. Subscribe to cleveland.com slash Brown's the blue banner at the top of the page. Scott and Mary Kay, I'll talk to you later.